We are Christ's bride. We are the bride of Christ. A lot of our young guys are gone. They're on a, a canoe trip this morning, which is where David is, where Jose is. Uh, the problem is that we have one type of guy that seems to be you know, Justin Smith, our sound guy. I mean, we really get stripped of a lot of important uh, sound folks when the guys go hiking or canoeing, and that's where they are. Uh, they would bulk at this. Some of you guys have, it's hard for me to hear, we're the bride of Christ. But compared to God, we are all feminine. I don't know how that, what that means, but that's the way that the, the scriptures describe us, that we're the bride of Christ, being prepared for Jesus, who is our bridegroom, who will come back for us. And so we prepare as the bride prepares for the groom. Well, so it just, when I read through the scriptures early in the week, I said, i got to preach on that, Acts 4. And Nikki, God bless her, we, she worked out. I just walked in and said, Nikki, is there any way you could throw up the Acts 4 passage? She said, no. I said, please, Nikki. And, and she did it. She made it happen. So, Kieran, will you put that Acts passage back up? Thank you so much. Um, I want to think with you for a few minutes about this, this picture of the early church, the beginning of the church, and those maybe two months after Jesus' death and resurrection. It's right after the day of Pentecost, which we know is 50 days after the Passover, which is when Jesus is crucified. And so we know that it's around two months after. And there is this picture of the early church that continues to unfold. Now, the Old Testament, excuse me, the Acts of the Apostles are descriptive of what the early church did. They are not necessarily prescriptive. What do I mean by that? Well... Just because they held all things in common, they gave their mortgage, their, their, their deeds to their property, not their mortgages, but their deeds to their properties and their bank accounts over to the church, and the church held all things in common. That is not to say that we are disobedient Christians if we don't do the same. It simply is describing which, what out of the joy of the Lord, what out of the joy of their, their having come into this realization that Jesus who was crucified has been risen from the dead and, and they're going out in great power and seeing all sorts of works and miracles and people by the thousands are coming to faith. They said simply this is what we want to do. But it's, it's helpful for us. It, it describes what happened in the early church. And I want to look at, you, look at that with you. I'm not going to ask for the deeds of your properties because I know like me, many of you still owe the bank probably is almost as much as you actually own, and so that wouldn't get us anywhere. And, um, and God is calling us to some things, but I think we can learn some lessons. So let's, let's look for a couple of minutes at this lesson. Let me set the stage. Um, Peter and John, two of the apostles, leave the, the temple, and they see this man, uh, a lame man, we would call him a disabled person uh, in our day, by the gate, beautiful, one of the gates that leads in and out of the city, and... The man wants money, as all the guys along uh, Interstate 75, you're off in the exits, you see them. They're, he's begging for money. And Peter and John say, silver and gold we don't have any of, but what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. And the man is miraculously healed, and he stands up, and his, his ankles and feet and legs are strengthened, and he walks around <clears throat> And it's really cool because what happens is this guy starts like sort of being a, a, a groupie of Peter and John and he follows them around and he's following them into the temple and, and they're going, I think they actually were going into the temple, not out of the temple. And so he follows them into the temple and so here's Peter and John and here's this lame 
formerly lame man, disabled person, and he's standing right next to Peter and John. And all the people recognize him. Like, you're, you're lame Joe. Used to be out by 75 begging me for money, you know. Will work on hard luck, whatever the sign was that he had in front of him. And, and now he's healed. And so there's this power. And immediately the disciples understood that, that the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is being raised from the dead, what had directly resulted in these miraculous, this miraculous healing and many other signs and wonders. It was all because of resurrection. I think at some point James or I, someone said it in the last few weeks, the resurrection is not just about hope for heaven, though we have that, but it is, it is empowered transformation of life in the here and now that we can live differently because Christ was raised from the dead now in this world. And that's what they're experiencing. And that's what this, this disabled person now is made healed is, is displaying for them. And so the religious authorities get concerned. And this is sort of like deja vu because they bring, they bring Peter and John into a, basically a trumped up court. They arrest them, no habeas corpus, straight to jail, and before the high council the next day. Sound familiar? Yes, it's Jesus. It's exactly the same thing that happened with Jesus. And, and they know what happened to Jesus, and so they know that there are some huge ramifications for what they're doing in the temple, just as it were for our Lord. And famously, Peter and John say, judge for yourselves, this is not in the scripture that we have today, judge for yourselves whether we should obey you or obey God. But as for us, we can but tell what we have seen and what we have heard. They basically said, look, we're going to continue to boldly proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, they go on. It's pretty powerful. I wish you could go back and read the, the, the earlier part that's not in our, election, our, our reading for today. You can read the whole thing because you don't have Bibles now. But, but, uh, but just the whole, the whole focus here, because Peter and John say, the Jesus that you guys crucified, and they could actually say that to them, you crucified, God raised from the dead. They say it several times in the passage. And the people are cut to the heart, we're told, and they repent. You think it's hard for us to tell people that they're sinners in need of a Savior? Imagine telling people, you crucified Jesus. You're the ones who said crucify Jesus. Set free Barabbas. The very same people John and Peter are preaching to. And they're convicted and they become believers. We know the church swells up on Pentecost of 5,000. And who, who knows how many more are, are brought to faith in Jesus after the preaching of Peter and John before this miraculous sign. So, so that all takes place. And then we come to our passage here. So when they were released, that's Peter and John, they went with their friends and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Go ahead and advance it. There you go. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. Just hang right there for a second. Karen. They, they immediately come back and they share their decision to boldly proclaim, regardless of the circumstances and the consequences. Is Cynthia here? There's Cynthia. I hope you don't mind me sharing this. But the Lord gave... Cynthia, a, a word at our vestry meeting last Tuesday night, and part of the word was for me. And the word was that the Lord was giving us a larger place to minister, to have church, to draw in people to hear God's word, 
but that I was in no way, shape, or form to compromise the unabashed truth of the gospel. That the Lord wants me to preach with boldness, and James to preach with boldness, the truth, no matter how unpopular, or how out of politically incorrect, or how difficult it might be. And I said, Amen. Thank you for sharing. Amen, right? Thank you for sharing that. And, and I want you to know that's, that's, the, that's the point here. This is not we're reaching a place of success. You know, we're legitimate. We have our own building. And now, because of the need for funds, we're going to water down or compromise the Scripture. That is not the case at all. I'd rather, I'd rather not have a salary, go, go work at Starbucks, and continue to preach and do the types of ministry that we're doing now rather than compromise the Word of God in any way I could, that I could to, uh, to somehow appeal to people through their generosity. Not what we're about, amen? amen. Not what we're going to be about when we get over to the other space. This is not about trying to legitimize ourselves. It's about speaking the Word of truth. Now, the Scriptures will be at times offensive. They'll be hard to hear. God's commands, what God says... We should not be offensive. Alright? I know some Christians who are offensive and has nothing to do with the gospel or the word of God. They're just offensive people. The Lord needs to work on those folks. We need to continue to pray. At times we can be offensive. We need to confess that. We need to repent of being offensive. But our message will be offensive. I love how the fact that as, they, as, the, as the, the disciples come back, Peter and John come back, they share, they immediately go to prayer. And it is common prayer. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's an Anglican prayer book, an Anglican liturgy, but they pray in one accord. There's an old, old joke about that. I won't go there. So. But they, they pray in unity. One person likely is praying, and others are agreeing. Whether it's a written prayer or extemporaneous prayer, we don't know, but, but as they pray, they agree. And then we get the contents of the prayer. It begins with this, this recognition of God's sovereignty, of His, his uh, rule, and, and that He is the creator God. Now you can go ahead, Kieran, and, and, and advance it one more. So it begins to talk about God's plan throughout the world, and he talks about David, the servant of God, who's said by the Holy Spirit, and then they begin to pray about why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? One more, Karen. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His holy anointing. One. That, is the, that is the quote from Psalm 2. Now get the picture. As they're praying, God begins to change their perspective. And their perspective becomes a recognition that they're actually lining themselves up with our Lord Jesus. And not only with our Lord Jesus, but with God the Father. You see, going back to, to Psalm 2, you know, Psalm 1 is, blessed is the man who walks not. Psalm 2 is, the nations are going to always try to thwart, I love that word, thwart, <laughs> undermine the plans of God. It's just the way the world works. First John, John says, they don't understand us. They don't get us. That's why they reject us. Remember in the Passion, how, how as Jesus is being tried, he gets passed back and forth between Herod and Pontius Pilate. 
Well, it says that in that day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Kind of a weird little, like, why do we need to know this? Well, because the powers of the world will unite. Even powers that would seem to be at opposition will find a common enemy in the plans of God and of His anointed. So, where you feel as if people or systems are against you, guess what? It's not at all new. It's very, very old. Why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the kings of the earth plot and scheme against God and His anointed world? They begin to see a perspective that they're, in fact, lining themselves up with the things that have been going on between God and the world forever and ever. They also begin to identify with Jesus, who is the servant. Notice that word servant appears several times. It appeared back in the last screen. Now go on to the next one, Kieran. Kieran, by the way, is advancing our slides. That's why I keep saying Kieran. Um, Look how, look how they begin to identify, the perspective change, they begin to identify with the servant Jesus. Gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And then he goes on to talk about Herod and Pilate. Your holy servant Jesus. You know, I, I hate to be prejudiced, but I think that servants of Christ is the best name in the world for a church. I'm sorry. I don't know why it hasn't caught on. The only person that ever named the church Servants of Christ was Beth's dad. And, uh, and he's with Jesus, so they can have that conversation. But I love the name Servants of Christ because it identifies us with Jesus' servant ministry. Philippians, think about Philippians 2. Didn't consider equality with God to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. As they pray, they begin to have a perspective, not only of, this is nothing new, but something old regard to the world, but also, and we're becoming more like the Holy Servant Jesus. Their service began, they began to see it as identifying with the service servant ministry of Jesus. And it all started with this decision to boldly proclaim, no matter what the consequences. Go on one more. So, they say, Lord, not our will, but your will be done. Whatever you have planned, whatever you predestined, we're going to be, we're especially saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. The next one is. Now look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. They, they began to identify themselves with the servant ministry of Jesus and see themselves as servants lining up with him. Isn't that what we want to do? There, there's the, part of the reason why we picked the name Servants of Christ is because as we began to understand the place of Gainesville that we're in, this university community, one of the top universities in the entire country, um, in the world. I, I don't, I'm making that up, but I know that's to be true. Um, but we have, we have a lot of people who have religious backgrounds, who maybe had family that were Christians in the past, and there's a lot of rejection, a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of a sense of hypocrisy in the church. And so to, to, to have a vision for creating a congregation that would truly exemplify the servant ministry of Christ, that came to, to save, to heal, but also to serve, uh, is something I believe will be attractive to 
post-Christian Gainesvilleites. For people that think they know what Christians are like. We want to we want to give them a different experience of Christianity, one that, that tries to line up with the servant ministry of Jesus. I think that's one of the things that we've tried to be here in the city, why we involve ourselves with so many outreach ministries, why we do blood drives, while we get involved in Relay for Life, and we do other things in the city because we want to be known for doing good, for serving where it's needed. Why we're going to be cleaning gutters at Littlewood Elementary next Saturday. I hope you'll join me and Justin. We're the only two people right now that are signed up. But we're going to, we're going to go and serve because that's what Christ did. And we believe that will communicate to post-Christian Gainesvilleites that maybe they need to take another look at the Christ of Christianity. Now I'm really preaching. I don't know where this is coming from. I guess it's the Holy Spirit. Look at this. Keep going. Keep going. And you, Lord, keep stretching out your hands to heal and signs and wonders that you've performed, that you performed by through your name of, of your servant, the Holy Servant Jesus. So that recognition that these signs, all the things they're doing. It's not from them. It's not John and Peter. It's the Lord. The Lord's doing it. The first time I prayed for someone to be healed, when I was rector at St. Michael's, and, and they, they came back and said, I, I think it was, like, it was a hearing issue. They, their ear was closed up. And I prayed over it, and they came and said, my ear opened up. I was like, it did? Really? <laughs> okay. Because I, I still didn't, I, I, I knew to pray for it, but I, did, I didn't have the faith to believe that the God, in fact, would actually bring the healing. They're saying, we know that healing is going to come from you, Lord. It's not from us. It's from you. Okay, one more, Karen. And when they had prayed, they placed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, continuing to speak the Word of God with boldness. See, it goes hand in hand. The Spirit falls, and they have boldness. They, have, they, have a they made a decision to be bold, and God... And fills them with the Spirit. It's, it's, it's the back and forth. Now this is not chapter 2. This is not the day of Pentecost. This is after that. But what does that tell us? That the Spirit was not simply given, poured out on one day. The Spirit was, that was what was new. The day of Pentecost, which we'll celebrate in a few weeks, was when the Spirit was first poured out on all peoples. But the Spirit is now available to be poured out afresh on each of us daily. There are days when you get up and you're busy. I know I am sometimes. And I rush on out. And I don't ask the, the Spirit to, to, to just empower me for the work He has for me. And, and then, I, then I find myself striving. Don't you? You know, we're just striving. We're, we're working so hard to, to, you know, push those boulders up the hills and to, and to make things happen. And rather than being in submission to the Holy Spirit and asking the Spirit to anoint and empower us, for the work he has for us today. In the early church, they had this recognition that it was the overwhelming sense of the power of the Spirit that was at work in them. And they, they, weren't, they, weren't, they weren't doing anything without that empowerment. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. And that's the continued practice of them. This all comes out of this prayer that they're doing. Their perspective changes. And they're empowered. Now the last few verses are a summary, another summary statement, go ahead, of, of what happened as a result of this. It's like a summary statement of what's going on in the early church. 
Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that anything that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Now I said before, what's written in the book of Acts is descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. They still had a sense of ownership, but they chose to give that ownership over. Barnabas, at the end, will be the most outstanding example of this. Now, I'm just going to say, I, I don't, again, I don't think that this is what the Lord's calling us to do, but I recognize that there is a sense in which when we sign the mortgage for this property, and Ethan, our senior warden, was when he put his name on it, we began to hold something in common something much bigger than ourselves. See, I, don't, I don't think it's just about having our own building and knowing that we're not just paying rent, we're paying a mortgage, and it's a good investment, and we need to have stability and length. We need to know that we're going to be here in 50 years. Those things are important. But I also think that it, at that moment, we all were in a commitment to each other that we had not been in the past. You see, the reality is, when you rent space and you're a startup church, you know, we could, we could dissolve the corporation like that. But now, we're invested, amen? amen? To use the business term, we have skin in the game. If you have contributed to the building fund of Service of Christ, or if you give regularly to the ministry of Service of Christ, you've got skin in the game. And now we have something in common. So while we don't hold everything in common, I do believe in the spirit of this, we do hold this, this building in common. We hold this ministry in common. And what we've invested of our own resources, I think it, I think it really lines up. I want to commend you. If you look at the, the, the summary statement in the, in the bulletin, I, don't, I, don't, I never draw people's attention to this in sermons, but the financial summary in the bulletin in front of you I, I saw the number of the monies that have been collected for the building fund, and I said, Adrian, that's got to be wrong. There's no way that's the right number. But she's got a finance degree from UF. I totally trust her. So I doubted my own doubt. Praise the Lord. That's a lot of money. If, if that's not the spirit of exactly what we're reading about, in, you know, they, they, they couldn't have imagined... Four hundred and what is it? Four hundred and seventy ninety-one thousand dollars being held in common, guys. This is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. We're we're living it out in the spirit. We're seeing the very same thing. This all comes out of this move that we're seeing. So they began to hold everything in common. The next slide, Kieran. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over and over again, there is that commitment. To boldly proclaiming Christ who was crucified is risen. And because of that, everything changes. We don't understand how it happens scientifically. We can't explain every evil in the world despite this. And yet we hold to this faith that Christ who was crucified is risen from the dead. And it makes all the difference. Through him we can have life in his name. They continue to boldly proclaim that. So they continued to do that. Then there was not a needy person among them. As many were of owners of houses sold them and brought the proceeds as they were sold. The, the early church met the needs of the church. Now I want to say that with clarity. 
doesn't mean that they were able to meet every needy person's need in all of Jerusalem. But they met the needs of those who were believers among them. And I've, I've been privileged to see that. We have something called the Compassion Fund. Um, and and the, the rule is we meet the needs of the body first. And then if there's extra, we meet the needs of those outside as well. Why? Because we're to care for the, the body. We're to care for one another. We want everyone to be a part of the body. We exist for those who are not yet members of the church, but our job, first and foremost, I believe, is to care for the body. So we've, we've fixed cars, and we've paid utility bills, and we've paid rent, and we've, uh, we've provided food, and um, we even replaced someone's carpet once, who desperately needed some new carpet. Um, We've done all sorts of things to meet the needs of the body. And I, I, my only, you know, I can't share these things because obviously it's hard to ask sometimes. But, but just know that there are, there are lots and lots of people that have been blessed by your generosity that, that, that we're able to give to and care for. Members of our body, we, we want that to be the case. We want that to be the case that, that if there's a need within the body, it's met. And then I think the Lord also gives us the ability to give beyond the body and to meet needs outside the body. And again, demonstrate the servant ministry of Jesus. And we've been able to do that with lots of ways too. So this all becomes comes out of the generosity of the body. They laid their gifts at the apostles' feet and then as the apostles, they administrated them. Next slide. And then we get this neat little... In snippet. It's about a person named Joseph who the apostles knew as Barnabas, meaning the one of encouragement. I think that the, the Acts, that Luke writes this in the end of the summary just to put a name and a face because it's easy just to talk about in general this, you know, but to say, and then here's Barnabas. He's not even from the same continent, he's from Cyrene, he's from an island off the coast of Italy. And he, he, he comes and he sells a piece of land, probably back home, and he takes that proceed and he lays it at the feet of the apostles. And he was known as an encourager. You guys, I, I want to be a Barnabas. I want to be a Barnabas to you. I want to help you become Barnabas encouragers to one another the people that God's going to call us. It is so easy to be complainers, to be Monday morning quarterbacks. Well, I would have done it this way, or that's really shoddy work, or whatever, you know. But I, I, I just speak this word, let's be encouragers. The older we get, the less we'll be able to do. That limits us physically, but what we aren't limited to do is to encourage Encourage those who are coming behind us. Oh, I want to. I want to be a. I want to be a Barnabas. I want to be like this early church. I wonder, as we're on the precipice of moving from our rented space into our, our new space, beginning the renovation process, as we become the bride of Christ, being prepared at least for a new garment to put on, for a new season. What from these characteristics of the early church is the Lord calling you to take on? Do you need to be more intentional about prayer? 
that your perspective might change? Do you need to pray that the Spirit would empower you to do the work He's calling you to do? Do you need to pray that God would give you more of a spirit of generosity in what He's entrusted to you? Would God call you to be like Barnabas? One who grows in your ability and willingness to encourage. You guys, this, this is a new season. But as you can see from the reading in Acts 4, it's also the thing that the Lord's been doing in His body since the very, very beginning. Oh Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, that you would pour out your Spirit on this servants of Christ. Lord, that in, in all humility, we, I, and I just confess, Lord, I, I want to be humble about the name servants of Christ, not to be prideful in that, Lord, but we do seek to identify with Jesus, the Holy Servant, the one who gave his life. Lord, we want to boldly proclaim your good news in Christ. Lord, teach us to be people of generosity and encouragement, to meet the needs among us, to see ourselves as holding in common, Lord, this that you've given us, this, this new space to building. And Lord, may everything be undergirded with prayer. Lord, we, we say come. Come, Lord Jesus, come for your bride. But as we wait, we don't wait idly, Lord. We prepare ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.